Thanks for listening to the KC Morning Show. Everything's running smoothly. Yo, yo, yo! Yo! What is going on? My name's Hartzell. And this ride, Chia, it's your KC Morning Show, baby! What's the word, my friends? How we doing? Now, you know, on Tuesdays, we take back America. Myself, Professor Harvey K., he's the Professor Emeritus at the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay. So get this, we will be taking back America, but we'll be joined by some friends. Sarah Nelson, she is the President of the Association of Flight Attendants, and she, in solidarity with her union, pretty much stopped the government shutdown of 2018. If you only hear one thing this week, make it this. We are taking back America with Sarah Nelson. It is called the Harvey J.K. State of Democracy Speaker Series. Pulling back the curtain, I'm so happy to call this man a friend and to think it all just started by me sliding into his DMs wanting to talk about Thomas Paine and Bernie Sanders. And here we are. I love it when a plan comes together. So on the show today, let's do this. Part one of this lecture, and we're going to do part two on Tuesday. All right, my friends, I cannot wait for you to hear this. Sarah Nelson, president of the Association of Flight Attendants. It's a good day to be in Kansas City, and my friends, damn good day. My name's Hartzell. We'll see you in the morning. Bye. In 1986, Harvey K. created a speaker series that would bring nationally renowned intellectuals and political figures to our campus. Of course, by that time, Harvey was already becoming, well, I guess there's no other way to say it, an academic superstar. Um, he, had, he had already written uh, a really important book called The British Marxist Historians. And for those who know anything about Harvey, you know he would go on to write a number of other nationally renowned books. Uh, like a very important biography of of Thomas Paine um, and his widely cited book, uh, The Fight for the Four Freedoms, What Made FDR and the Greatest Generation Truly Great. Harvey's career was also one that was marked by um, a very distinguished record of teaching as the fact that many of his former students are here tonight, uh, I think really attests. But I think what made Harvey so truly special here, and I'm speaking as a colleague and a comrade uh, and a friend, is that he wanted to make our university great, truly. To give our students and our community the intellectual vitality that really makes a university thrive. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that Harvey's speaker series really helped to put our university on the map. And he brought in speakers from luminary leftists like E.P. Thompson, uh, to some of the nation's best conservative intellectuals like Richard Brookheiser. And he brought um, entertainers, like uh, comedians like John Fugelsang and the host of Turner Classic Movies, Ben Mankiewicz, whose grandfather or great uncle was Herman Mankiewicz, who wrote Citizen Kane, and there's that great Netflix documentary about that. And Harvey did all this by leveraging his personal connections and, and opening up his own home, because he did all this on a shoestring. He and his incredible partner, Lorna, who's sitting right over there, Uh, hosted almost all of the speakers over the years, over 30-something years. And so in this way, I think Lorna really deserves a great deal of the credit for putting our university on the map, too. 
So I can't think of a better way, and I'm sure you all agree with me, um, a better way to honor Harvey than to name this speaker series after him. And I'm thrilled, and I mean thrilled, to welcome Harvey up here to say a few words. I, uh, I missed the classroom already, so it's tempting to start off a lecture, but I'm not going to do that. Um, I, just, I just want to thank several people and, and a host of people. Uh, first of all, I want to thank John Shelton, okay, who really put this all together, and my colleagues in democracy and justice studies, and before that for many years, my colleagues in social change and development, which was the original democracy and justice studies. Uh, I, I also want to thank the chancellor, the dean, College of Arts, Humanities, and Social Sciences for the support. And in that same vein, I want to thank all of you for coming out tonight, in fact, and, and joining in this celebration, and most importantly, to hear my friend Sarah Nelson. Um, I am hoping that the live stream around the country is working because I tweeted the fact of it about every hour on the hour. <laughs> and hopefully there'll be people from Madrid, Spain to Tokyo, Japan staying up late to hear this. Um, I, I, I also really do want to thank uh, Sarah Nelson for coming. I, I had arranged for her to come to Wisconsin back before the pandemic, and the pandemic had the better of us. And I have to say that it's, she's become my new labor sister. So solidarity is all I can say about that. I'm forgetting some other people, so I'm going to just tell you that to see some of my former students here is a pleasure. I look forward to being able to introduce them to Sarah afterwards. But last, and by no means least, I mean, Lorna really... I mean, you've got to think that we had between 150 and 175 people staying. In some years, there were up to eight people staying at the house. And just so you know, back then, in order to get half fare, since the budget was so ridiculous that I would invite people for the whole weekend, back then you get a half fare if you stay over Saturday night. So anyhow, I used to tell people, I have $1,000, you pay what you can for a flight, and you can keep the difference. It was that simple. But seriously speaking, the house was the hotel for, for the series, and so Lorna really was, really was the champion. And you know, I, I can't thank, I, well, I'll, I can't thank her enough, period, okay? Um, and then I have to say that, just one thing, since we're in the Widener Center, this all began when I woke up one morning in 19, 85, I just was elected chair of the department, and I decided that the university was becoming a little boring. <laughs> and, I, and I went to see Ed Widener, who then I would never, not, not at the beginning at least, have ever called Ed, I would have said chancellor. Um, and I said to him, I know it's the 20th anniversary of the university, so that would have been, you know, it was 1985, back 1965, the founding. I said, do you have any parties planned I mean, I know you have parties planned. Do you have any events of an intellectual sort? And he said, no, I've been waiting for someone to ask. And thus began the series. But the funniest thing was, years later, in retirement, he had a dinner party for faculty he knew during the years. And he actually, and Ed Wyden is not the kind of guy you would have expected to ever hug anyone. I mean, I'm sure his wife and family, but. And, all, and, I, and he said at the dinner party that he, 
why each person in the room was there, why he invited. And he said that when I said to him, do you have such a thing planned, he wanted to get out of his, up out of his desk and come across and hug me, okay? So, this is the Widener Center. This is the first one. She's great. Thank you. Okay, and so now for our main speaker tonight. Thank you for that, Harvey, and it really is fitting that we're here tonight in the Widener Center. Um, Sarah Nelson is the president of the Association of Flight Attendants, uh, Communication Workers of America. Sarah began her career as a flight attendant um, and moved into leadership, winning election to serve as the international president in 2014. In addition to heading one of the most important unions in the nation, Sarah has become a prominent and outspoken advocate for all workers in the US. She played an important role in leading the charge to end the government shutdown in 2018-19, and I think if you were following that, you know what I mean by that. And also played a prominent role in ensuring the funding in the CARES Act back uh, just last year went to keep workers on the job first and not sp got spent on corporate profits first. You can constantly see her in the news, walking the picket lines with our union brothers and sisters. I study the past and present of workers in America. I do that professionally. That's uh, kind, of kind of a good gig. And it might get me in some trouble to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Sarah has emerged as quite possibly the single most important labor leader in this country right now. And so we're thrilled to have her here, and I cannot think of anyone better to give the inaugural talk for a series named after a colleague who taught us all so much about solidarity over the years. And with that, I'm proud to introduce Sarah Nelson. John, thank you for that very generous introduction. And it is incredible to be here to, for the first Harvey K. Speaker Series. Um, my good friend and mentor and uh, supporter <laughs> and um, comrade in arms, Harvey K., I'm just so pleased to be here with you. I am starting to speak with my mask on because I just want to point out a few things. I represent people who are trying to keep everyone safe and encouraging people to keep their masks on. So it's important for me to make note of that and recognize that they have uh, risked their lives on the front lines since the beginning of the pandemic in order to keep everyone else safe. And now, as they're doing their work as safety professionals are challenged with conflict on their planes because people have been told that this pandemic is a lie and that these masks are infringing upon our rights. But I will also say this, I'm wearing a camo mask because 1,100 miners in Alabama have been on strike since April 1st. And if you think about labor history and the fact that the mine workers were responsible for a great many number of the unions in our country, and we would not exist as a labor movement if it were not for the mine workers who also had the great labor organizer, Mother Jones, organizing for them around the country and putting up strikes in order for recognition of union representation on the job, fighting for the eight-hour day, fighting for the weekend, 
fighting for health care, fighting for overtime pay, fighting for sick pay, fighting for vacation pay. I just listed all the things that we hear every Labor Day we should thank a union for. But here's, here's what we have to know. The miners on strike in Alabama, those 1,100 miners, are fighting for those very things right now. And so if we don't understand that we have to continue the labor movement, we have to continue to stand together, we are going to lose everything. It is a continual fight for a democracy in capitalism that also will make way for working people to build their lives. And so they are on strike right now, fighting for all of those things that are applause lines at political events and that we hear before Labor Day. Every damn day is Labor Day. And I wear this mask for them, and I hope you will join all of me in cheering them on to win that strike, where even the state troopers in Alabama are helping the scabs cross into the mine to try to break that strike. So I went off on a little tangent here, but that is why I wear the camel mask, and I told them I will continue to wear that in public until their strike is won. Join me in giving them solidarity now. So Harvey Kay has been around long enough to teach us the powers of the past, the pains of fighting for the four freedoms, and the promise of America he will never concede as lost to the ruling class who he knows fear and awakening of the power of labor. He missed my first birthday while he was finishing up his master's at the University of London, and he missed my third birthday while defending his PhD dissertation at LSU. But by the time I was in the sixth grade and started taking on the fascists with a starring role in The Sound of Music, he was already a big supporter. And as you heard, my husband sets his watch on the tweets that Harvey's put out every... <laughs> every day this past month for this event. At the time, he called me the future of American musical theater and revolutionary. And so for Harvey, climb every mountain, search high and low, follow every byway, every path you know. So sadly, very sadly, I never did make it to Broadway, <laughs> but I'm proud to have made it onto the picket line, and I'm honored to have Harvey stand with me as, at my side as a union leader. Harvey's books are essential reading for everyone who believes in our democracy and recognizes that it is at greater risk today than in any time since the Civil War. Thomas Paine, FDR, Harvey's writing captures the excitement and importance of the truly radical American experiment in democracy. In an era when our former president praised murderous neo-Nazis and white supremacists as fine people, without a hint of shame, it's easy to lose our bearings. At a time when being an anti-fascist is twisted to mean something bad by a generation whose parents and grandparents shipped out to Europe to fight the fascists, the propagandists have hoodwinked the public about who is deserving of our contempt. 
Amidst this, through the looking glass distortion, Harvey's clear voice for the beauty and the necessity of American democracy is an anchor and an antidote. Now, I know the power of solidarity because I have lived it. As a brand new flight attendant at United Airlines, the company failed to pay me, and with zero balance in my bank account and no idea of how I would even eat that day, I went down into the airline office to ask why I hadn't been paid and what was going on. They had no answers, and for the first time, I felt like I was just a number in an HR file. The tears started to roll, and I felt a tap on my shoulder. And in that moment, it changed everything. I turned around, and I saw someone standing there who looked just like me, or at least she was wearing the same uniform. Otherwise, I'd never seen her before. She asked me how to spell my name, and she was holding her checkbook. She handed me a check for $800, and she said, number one, you go take care of yourself, and number two, you call our union. And I did call our union, and I had my paycheck the very next day. And that's when I learned the power of being a part of a union. They fought for me in a way that I could never fight for myself alone, and I learned that in our union, we are never alone. My first week on the job, my flying partner of 35 years said to me, with a raspy voice, because we had only gotten rid of smoking three years earlier, Listen, management thinks of us as their wives or their mistresses, and in either case, they hold us in contempt. Your only place of worth is with your flying partners. Wear your union pin, and if we stick together, there's nothing we can't accomplish. If we stick together, there's nothing we can't accomplish. On June 26 of 2015, a dear friend walked into my office just a few minutes after the Supreme Court decided marriage equality. If I'm being honest, I was feeling cynical when he walked in. Don't get me wrong, I wanted to celebrate. But at the time, I was in the middle of a fight to stop furloughs of our members. We were trying to stop the Obama administration from pushing a trade agreement that would gut millions of jobs. And our streets were filled with protesters demanding answers for the killings of black youth. I couldn't see how this decision would have an impact on any of that. But my friend was standing in my office with tears running down his face, and he's not a crier. He said, I don't have a partner. I don't know that I will ever be married. But that's not what today is about. I didn't realize until today the oppression I have felt my entire life. Today my country recognizes me and the choices I make in my personal life as the same under the law. The feeling of being acknowledged as, as equal has moved me more than I ever expected it to. And in those words, I remembered two things that are easy to lose sight of, but that we cannot afford to forget. One step forward makes the next step possible. And two, we cannot ever dismiss the oppression of someone else as their problem. Some of the earliest wins for LGBTQ rights happened not in the courtroom or in the legislature, but at the bargaining table. Years before San Francisco started issuing same-sex marriage licenses, long before Massachusetts became the first state to pass marriage equality, our union, the Association of Flight Attendants, CWA, negotiated for and won domestic partner benefits for every United flight attendant. And when we won, we brought capital to the fight to make it stronger because United Airlines did not want to have to compete on that. They wanted others to have to do the same. As we beat back discriminatory practices through a contract at one airline, another soon followed suit. 
Just as important, it gave members a sense of power that they had to change their own lives. And some of those members and our union leaders testified in San Francisco hearings that led to the domestic partner benefits and helped set the course for marriage equality. When my friend came into my office, all the years of union activism and fighting for those rights came flooding back to me. And suddenly, the ruling wasn't a distant thing handed down by a court. It was a natural outcome of years of hard work. We won through solidarity, changing one contract, one workplace, one community at a time. Our union had to fight tooth and nail for women who once made up the entire workforce to be treated fairly on the job. Evil dictators intent on controlling everything and stripping all people of our rights will start with belittling women and treating women as less than human. Sexism and racism have for centuries been the premier tactic of the boss to hold us down, keep us divided and deny us the power we have together to take what we are owed as workers for moving this country, teaching this country, feeding this country, building this country, communicating in this country and around the world. More than a hundred years ago, Frederick Douglass told us all we need to know. He said, the difference between the white slave and the black slave was this. The latter belonged to one slaveholder and the former belonged to slaveholders collectively. Both were plundered and by the same plunderers. The white laboring man was robbed by the slave system of the just results of his labor because he was flung into competition with a class of laborers who worked without wages. The slaveholders blinded them to this competition by keeping alive their prejudice against the slaves as men, not against them as slaves. No one is born with sexism, racism, ageism in their heart. These are the tactics of the boss of those who want all the money and all the control to deny us solidarity, the greatest force for good. We have to expose it and destroy the four Ds of union busting that are denying us the promise of America. Divide, delay, distract, and demoralize. If we ever feel in competition with another worker, that is the union buster talking and the union buster at work. On our picket lines, we expose these tactics of the boss and find that we have more in common than anything that could ever divide us. There are strikes happening all over this country right now, and I will tell you I have been down to Alabama many times. And the first time I went down there, the strikers were out, striking for the same issues, for control of their own schedules, for overtime pay, for days off with their children, for a living wage. But the first time I spoke to them, it was visibly obvious which groups were standing with who because they were different colors. When I went back to Alabama months later, they had been on the picket line together. They had taken vehicular assaults by management trying to mow them down on the picket line. They had stood together. They had told each other their stories. They had learned about their children and their spouses and their families, and their hopes, and their dreams. And when I went back, there was no difference. There was no separation between them. In fact, management sent in a scab to try to break up the event, and those workers came together, surrounded the scab, and without violence, ushered him off the property together. 
Arguing in halls provides something social movements too often cannot, a place where our common interests, a fair paycheck, equal treatment on the job, dignity and respect, and opportunity to thrive are grounded in experience we all share. Regardless of our color, creed, national origin, identity, expression, or any other marker our opponents use to divide us. Just five years after I started my flying career, the events of September 11, 2001 changed everything. I had frequently worked Flight 175, the plane you can picture hitting the South Tower of the World Trade Center, because that's the image captured from so many other angles after American Flight 11 struck the North Tower 17 minutes earlier. That could have been me, but instead it was my friends. It was Amy and Michael, Robert, Catherine, Al, Alicia, Amy, Jesus, and Marianne. And even as we grieved, over 100,000 aviation workers lost our jobs nearly overnight. And then the bankruptcies came. I was our communications chairperson, still in my 20s, working around the clock to communicate new procedures, but mostly repeated bad news. I remember a day in the office about six months in on the 38-month bankruptcy when our union president called me to tell me to stop my work on communicating another pay cut another closure of bases that was uprooting people from their homes. We already had 7,000 on furlough. He told me, United just called to tell me they're furloughing another 2,500 flight attendants. It all became too much in that moment, and I told him I needed a minute to cry, and I did. Right then, I knew how I was going to spend my life. We would have to fight like hell to hang on to everything so we could live to fight another day for what I knew the people I worked with deserved. And it wasn't easy. Our jobs, our health care, our pensions, it was all on the line. People felt out of control and focused inward and wanted to talk about issues of little consequence. All too often, workers feel overwhelmed and powerless and desperate. But in my union, I had hope. As a group, we fought on everything that was stacked against us. The bankruptcy, Wall Street, the White House, Congress, and we made a difference. They had all the control, but because we had our union, we actually had a way to fight back. They stole our pensions when 80 million would have saved them. The court granted termination with one hammer of the gavel and in the next awarded 400 million in bonuses to the top executives. But we fought back, and because we fought back, we doubled the amount they planned to pay for a pension replacement plan, and we saved retiree health care. When we start with what people feel and see in their lives, we can build solidarity. It's amazing what solidarity in a work site can do. People who may have been on opposite ends of the political debate can find common ground when you ground that fight in the workplace. People think power is a limited resource, but using power builds power. And once workers get a taste of our power, we will not settle for a bad deal, and we won't stand by while someone else gets screwed either. That's what happened during the government shutdown. It was a humanitarian crisis with 800,000 federal sector sisters and brothers who were either locked out or forced to come to work without pay. And another million people, a million people, doing contract work, locked out with no warning. Only because of our unions, we heard the stories of real people. And during the shutdown, agencies were handing down memos from the White House to tell federal workers that they were forbidden from speaking to anyone about how they were faring during the shutdown. Federal sector unions put a stop to that and made sure that people could express the personal hardship, hardship they were forced to face. Federal workers were suddenly no longer nameless, 
faceless bureaucrats. The stories made them human to the public. No money to pay for rent, for childcare, or a tank of gas even to get to work. The veteran and federal worker stretching insulin through the night and wondering if she will wake up in the morning. The transportation security officer in her third trimester with no certainty for her unborn child. The air traffic controller who whispered to his union leader, I just don't know how long I can hang on. The TSA officer in Orlando who took his life by jumping eight floors to his death in the middle of the security checkpoint. Nearly two million workers were locked out or forced to work for free, with the rest of us going to work when our workspace was becoming increasingly unsafe. We had to define what was at stake and understand what our leverage was to fix it. We called for a general strike, but we have to understand that the strike is our tactic. Solidarity is our power. Calling for a general strike first and foremost made clear who had the power. When it seemed that there was no answer and no end in sight, labor led the way. The shutdown ended not so much because of a few grounded flights in LaGuardia, but because those 10 air traffic controllers who could no longer safely do their jobs signaled a much more powerful threat to the GOP. Labor was rising, and the very last thing they could allow to happen in this process was to let us taste our power. That would upend everything, and it would turn our democracy over to the people of this country. Now, our rights are never absolute. They exist because generations of workers died to give us these rights. They were shot down at Homestead, Pennsylvania, and in the hills of West Virginia. They were hanged for the Haymarket Affair in Chicago and beaten on the overpass near Detroit, all for taking a stand for the rights of working people. There were beatings at Stonewall and murders in San Francisco City Hall. And these activists thought that it was important enough to stand up against all odds and put everything on the line to make it better for their families and for our families. And today, it's our turn. Saul Alinsky said, if people don't think they have the power to solve their problems, they won't even think about how to solve them. President Biden, if you're watching. It's time to get involved in the strikes that have been going on too long. The deck is stacked against workers, and we are fighting hard now for the PRO Act to make sure that companies cannot permanently replace strikers. That is what is happening today in these strikes. If you believe in collective bargaining, then you believe in the right to strike. But if you believe in democracy, then you have to uphold collective bargaining. And when collective bargaining is not happening because the company can simply replace the strikers and have all the power and not come to the table to solve problems, then you have what we have going on right now in Congress, where no one believes that democracy is about coming together and hearing difference of opinions and solving problems together. That is what is at stake in our democracy right now. And so, Mr. President, you must get involved in these strikes. You must mediate them. You must stand up for not only unions, but for collective bargaining, because that is at the root of our democracy.
You're listening to the KC Morning Show.